0: Grey Media, I am Stefan Koritar, and this is Tech Talk, the podcast where you can discover insights and valuable information about how entrepreneurs build their startup in the tech industry and the way the tech business works. I have conversations about technology, innovation, people, and life around tech businesses and communities, with the main goal to help you get inspired, get started, dream big, and build amazing businesses. In this episode, I talk to Max Gurvitz, Max is an entrepreneur-turned-investor based in Sofia, Bulgaria. After co-founding and exiting an online legal services company in the Netherlands, Max was on the founding team of Eleven Startup Accelerator in Bulgaria, after which he turned to Angel and Private Investments by co-founding an angel investment syndicate called Teres Angels. And he also pioneered several leading ecosystem initiatives like Entrepreneur Residence Tribe, Traction Camp and Summit Summit. Currently he is a managing partner at Vitosha Venture Partners. He also mentors with Seedcamp, Launch Hub, Happy Farm and other accelerators and is passionate about expanding the regional entrepreneurship ecosystem in the CE region. Max started his career at the European Commission and worked in the publishing sector before launching his first venture. Raised in Russia, USA, Latin America, and Netherlands and currently residing in Bulgaria. Max is fluent in six languages, loves to blog about startups, and is frequently found in art and creative circles. Max holds a master's degree in international and European law from the University of Groningen, and also attended Università di Bologna and University of Wisconsin-Madison. Enjoy my talk with Max. Hi, Max, and welcome to Tech Talk.
1: My pleasure. Hi, Stefan. Good to be here.
0: It, it has been some time to you know since we since we talked and i remember that we we met at uh, you know techville in uh, in moldova so uh, that's right i'm actually super grateful about that event that uh, we went out for a, for a cigarette <laughs> <laughs> you Right, know, me- was,
1: it was a good time so tech is actually it's a great community i'm uh, very happy i met you there i met a lot of other people there i was involved with the uh, business planning for techville back in the day when they were getting started mm-hmm. and 2014, 2015, and it's you know Moldova may have a lot of challenges uh, for sure as one of the least developed European countries at this point, but uh, that community is very very strong and the facilities they have I think are are really great for for any place and especially in Moldova it's uh, it's a game changer.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, Techville is doing a really good, uh, great job. Um, But what I want to ask you like uh, is. You know, you, you've been super involved nowadays with uh, Vitosha Partners, which uh, we will talk about soon today. But how is the Accelerate program running? Tell me more about it. What is it? How is it going? I know you're busy with it.
1: Right. That's a, that's a very, very timely question. Stefan. thanks. Uh, so Vitosha Accelerate is the accelerator uh, part of our fund, Vitosha Venture Partners, right? So we the, the entire fund, uh, we can, we'll talk about it later, is, is a 26 million euro fund, which invests in uh, all kinds of things, uh, tickets up to 1 million. Um, we'll be investing in total in about 130, 140 companies, most likely, over the next several years. Accelerate is the part that is the accelerator program under the fund, right? Um, the way it's designed is actually, um, it's, it's a very kind of standard, I guess, uh, program. We like to call it a good program. Um, we're very fortunate in our team that we have a lot of experience in building, running, um, advising, managing mentoring at Accelerator Programs, right? So we've, in our team we have people that um, that have been part uh, of, of, of Accelerator Programs all over, all over Europe and the United States. Um, and basically what we've wanted to do with Accelerate is really to create um, you know, it probably sounds very ambitious but to create what we want to be the best program at least in this region, right? Mm-hmm. So we've taken kind of all the lessons learned over the years um, and we uh, we really kind of, you know, designed a program that um, that we hope will be uh, a really good program. Uh, what that means is that you know, we've, we've, we've put in several elements into it. We've, uh, first of all, we've made it a rolling program. So we actually, most of the time, will not have batches. We'll okay. have companies joining by one or by two or three at most every couple of months. And we have a recurring circular rolling program that kind of you know, repeats itself like a, like a, like a song
0: yeah. every
1: couple of months. That program consists of different elements. Uh, there is it 's pretty classical in that sense. there is uh, a kickoff week in some cases it will be two kickoff weeks and then there will be like very individual mentoring schedules um, We will have a lot of like metrics measurement built into the program also with a lot of tech that we 're developing on our side ourselves um, and then there will be um, every couple of months instead of actually big demo days which i 'm sure we will do, but maybe that will be done separately once a year just as a more as a festival of 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 the startups that went through accelerate, but for actual graduation, we'll be doing customized graduation days, either for every company individually, or sometimes when there are certain synergies, maybe for two or at most three companies at a time. And those graduation days, they will be more like you know, imagine more like a PhD thesis defense rather than a, a classical start- startup pitch. Uh, so basically, there will be a presentation, there will be a panel of <clears throat> investors and 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 you know. Uh, executives or corporate decision makers uh, or investment decision makers, strategic and financial, uh, that will basically be, uh, you know, invited for that specific case and then asking some questions to that startup. So, you know, we've, we've thought very hard about like, what are the things that are great about accelerator programs? and What are the things that are not so great? And we've kind of tried to try to design Accelerate as a program that kind of does all of it. And it's, it's still very much work in progress. So just to answer your question, actually, we just kicked it off. Uh, we launched uh, Mid-October. Uh, we just had our kind of first deadline for applications. Even though it's a rolling application, so people can apply at any time, but we decided that, you know, to start up, we actually need a number of startups to start with. Uh, so, that's, so that selection is going on right now. And I think we'll start with approximately five companies uh, in January. Um, and then hopefully, after that, you know, one by one, there'll be more companies coming into the program and then at some point graduating from the program. And we want to make this, um, you know, a movable feast, as, um, as Hemingway Way would have said.
0: <laughs> that, that's super great that you kind of put a put a you know a spin to it um as a as an acceleration program um where did you did you find this kind of um you know these nuances of having a rolling program and switching from demo days to actually maybe I, at least how i see it is like a um you know actual launch day of that startup right like an official launch day so exactly are yeah. these things like are these things that you've seen some somewhere else or just you know you've seen, you combine from... Somewhere. Yeah, for sure, for
1: sure. I mean, bits and pieces, right? Like, uh, I, I think there are, you know, the, the accelerator field has changed tremendously over the last decade, mm-hmm. basically. I mean, a decade ago, it barely existed. It almost didn't exist. Um, you, you know, my background personally is, is this, that I uh, I had a startup. I, I was never, I never really wanted to be in this kind of like VC investor world very much. Uh, it's a huge privilege to be in, in it right now. But originally, when I when I was starting out in this industry, I, um, I um, you know, I, I had a startup uh, which I did, in the beginning, me and my co-founders back uh, back home and then other we didn't even know it was a startup. But we built this tool that allowed uh, small businesses to get access to legal services in a kind of in a friendly, cost-efficient, easy way online. Mm-hmm. And then as we were developing this as, as a bunch of young lawyers in Amsterdam uh, 12 years ago, we realized that wait, this is actually something that could be a business. And apparently the way things are done nowadays is that you call it a startup, we were learning on the fly, and we could actually build a web platform, and it could scale really well beyond Amstram, maybe beyond the Netherlands, right? <laughs> so that was that was uh, you know twenty something us <laughs> back in two thousand eight, um, and then that that company kind of took off, and we raised some money from Angel and more money, and then uh, it became it became something of a thing, and the Netherlands, it was kind of a, a hot item in two thousand ten, let's say two thousand eleven. The company got uh, got acquired, and. Uh, that's when I kind of started thinking about, okay, wait a second, what was that that just happened to me? What was that experience? And uh, can I, you know, can I maybe help other people go through it? Because I was, you know, learning all these very difficult, hard startup lessons myself. Mm-hmm. I started realizing that hey, there are more people that are going through this. It's still a very new and a very cool thing, but very few, but you know, very few people are doing it, but more and more people are doing it. And I've had this tremendous privilege, which even then I understood. And now looking back, I understand it even more that it actually all went really well for us. Like we made all kinds of crazy mistakes, like incredible mistakes that I would never forgive anyone today. But back then, (laughs) we didn't know. Nobody knew. There wasn't like if you look back in 2008 or 2009, like in a city like Amsterdam, which today is one of the main, you know, uh, main hub of startup activity in Europe, right? back then there was like nothing like I remember we were starting to read about you know Silicon Valley um we, I mean as a child I spent a lot of time in, in California so I I kind of had access to the tech world in the United States through my parents work but I I like never thought I would be someone like that myself and then as I was actually learning about how things are going you know in Silicon Valley even in London and then looking what we had in Amsterdam we had nothing we had a couple of angels There were a couple of meetups that were like, you know, open coffee style. They're Mm -hmm. literally open coffee. Amsterdam was I think pretty much the only meetup back then. There were no conferences. The next one was just getting started at that time. was still very small event. That was also the first tech conference I ever went to. Um, and, and that was it. And there was like no money, no advice. Nobody really cared about anything. Um, and, 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 you know, and then. Realizing how privileged I am that I actually managed to raise the money, managed to get the startup to a point where it's actually growing and booming, I had this like, strong urge to help other people. And to and I, you know, it's one of those things I guess that you realize when you when you when you exit a company is that the skills that you've developed, even though you know it was very modest looking back from where I'm today, what I had back then, but you start, you suddenly realize okay, what I've learned now this whole cycle, it is much better for me to, you know, kind of not to do a, a whole project from scratch again. But maybe to actually get involved with a bunch of different projects and then help them or participate in different ways and then and then basically see which one takes off and then kind of build up on that. Right. But that's kind of the logic, I think, that a lot of people enter the VC slash accelerator yeah. slash, uh, you know, development of other people's startups space in. Uh, um, and that's kind of what happened. And, and that com- combines for me with another important angle, which is Bulgaria, right? So I'm not originally Bulgarian. I, I do live here. i here for almost a decade now. Uh, but uh, my significant other, Ellie, she's, uh, she is from, originally from Bulgaria. Long story. We met in Germany, lived together there and then France and then Holland and everywhere. And I, was, I started traveling to Bulgaria uh, like regularly in 2008 for holidays and that was exactly the year that my startup started in in the Netherlands and I had this like really strong feeling every time I came here on holidays a couple times a year that man this country is so good like there's just so much opportunity here Uh, not only because it's cheap you know back then it was nowadays it's just like Romania (laughs) less less and less cheap but still there still is a cost advantage but it's nowhere near what it used to be but there is you know there is a huge young energy which of course is the same in Romania actually all, all the benefits are the same as Romania you know if I had a if I happened to stumble upon a Romanian girlfriend, this could have been Romania, but it, it happened to be it happened to be Bulgaria. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I was playing around with the thought of actually moving a part of our company's operations to Bulgaria. I already started hiring some people remotely, you know, freelance mm-hmm. for for some stuff we were doing. And then, you know, the company gets sold, and I'm like, okay, what's my next move? I've always wanted to go to Bulgaria, and I always wanted to do something with startup ecosystem development. And Back then, in two thousand eleven, those things just came together just at the right moment, right because even a year later, there would have been already so much going on here without me. but I managed to come here right at the time when you know the the startup wave really came and in Bulgaria as you know we got really lucky with these funding opportunities yeah. uh, through the uh, through the through the various programs backed by the european union and, and the local government and everything and uh, and then one plus one became two, and that's how we you know how I got involved in. I'm starting one of the first programs here, which is uh, 11, uh, the
0: 11 accelerator. Right yeah, yeah. I, I know about it. Um, I've read it uh, about it. So there are com- some some key questions that I've uh, put together uh, based on, on that. In terms of your acceleration program, do you think like, uh, you know, what is the level of startups that applied? Um, you know, are you happy with it?
1: It's a it's a very good question, Stefan. So um, I would say yes. Yeah, we've had we've had a we've had a decent a, a decent number of applications. Uh, we decided not to disclose how many because we don't we don't want to talk about these numbers until a point when, you know, when once we have like a whole you know a whole history, we'll actually be publishing a lot of like data driven yeah. insights and reports. But until then, we're we're keeping it uh, more to ourselves. But we've had a we've had a very decent number of applications. Um, the they, they they are good, right? So there are different ones. Um, I think you can. What I see from the applications is that there are two kind of tendencies. First one is that definitely the market is really developed, right? Right now, when you start a startup, you know, in Bulgaria, in Romania, in Serbia, uh, in this whole anywhere in this region, there is a lot of choice. And there's also a lot of education already, right? Like people know that they can apply to programs in in Berlin or or in Silicon Valley or in New York. Uh, this year especially it's crazy because now everything is remote, right? So (laughs) which I have I have very strong kind of like uh, not so positive thoughts about. I, I actually think that. Uh, remote programs, uh, you know, accelerated remote programs are, are very difficult to do well. And even if you do it really well, which we will also have to now as, as we start before before the pandemic is over, um, a lot of the value still still get lost. And yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm convinced about it. I'm also transparent about it to the people that apply to us. Like, we'll do our best but it's never going to be the same as real in yeah. in-person program.
0: Face-to-face to, face to face has its own uh,
1: magic. It's yeah. just, look, man, it's just, like, we would not be having this conversation had we not been setting face-to-face in Moldova, right? Like, exactly. You know, we would just be two random people from the internet. We could have still called. We yeah. could have even done this conversation with you, right, if someone had introduced us, but it would never be as candid or as nice as, as we have it now because, you know, we managed to meet in person. Um and, and this this is this is impossible to solve, I think. Um but people, you know, getting back to this, people are very educated, so people know where to apply. So from that point of view, we do see that people come with, you know, with a very clear understanding of, of what they can expect from a program. We see that the 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 stage of development of the project, you know, it doesn't matter whether they're pre-MVP or post-MVP or even at product market fit already, like. Right? Whatever stage they're in, even if it's just a pure idea stage, people are very well aware of what to do, which are the next steps, what they need. This Mm -hmm. is a big difference from even a few years ago on the one hand, right? Um, On the other hand, uh, what we do see, of course, is that there is also a lot of competition, right? So we also, like, I I think that all the projects that we see now, they are kind of like 50-50. Some of them are really good, and people just who know that we're a really good team, who know that we can bring to the table probably, most likely, considerably more than some of our regional uh, competitors or friends is what I call them, because it's, it's, you know, it's very, we're competitors with everyone, but at the same time, we're all, we all know each other. and We are friends with all the funds and active here. So, so on the one hand that you have those people, and on the other hand, there are basically people that you know didn't get into other programs and are kind of coming to us as a last resort. And it's a very funny mix of these two, Like they're like really good projects and like really, really poor ones. And it's, it's like, you never know which one it is until you actually have a look. So so that's the kind of stuff we see. And then in terms of of verticals, you know, with Accelerate and basically with everything we do at Vita we have a very, uh, we're maintaining a very open focus and a very um, wide, um, uh, almost like agnostic angle, right? So we basically care about all kinds of scalable business models, uh, mostly tech, uh, sorry, mostly products, but services, if they can be scalable, are welcome to, mostly tech, but not necessarily. for instance, we're also very much interested in food innovation. We're very much interested in uh, in fashion, uh, mm-hmm. you know, concepts that could become productized and scalable. So um, so tech and tech-driven is very much, you know, a core thing for us, but not necessarily.
0: Okay. Okay. I didn't knew that, uh, that, you know, your focus also uh, outside of tech. So that's a good thing. Um, uh, we've seen a couple of startups, not a couple of startups, startups. Um, of investments also done by high ventures from Hungary which uh, as well they decided to go into kind of different uh, different investment strategies. Um, coming back to the entire region over here um, you know I, I know you have been involved in the southeastern Europe startup ecosystem for you know, for quite some time. Um, you know what what are the like, key actions that matured the ecosystem if you look back in time, what are some key stepping stones?
1: What matures in this ecosystem? I mean, it's um, a really good question, Stefan. I think that first and foremost, and I'm gonna say something that's like probably completely banal or something where people are like, duh, but I, it has to be said, European expansion, right? Like think about it, if we had not been in the EU with Bulgaria and Romania, right? Or and Croatia and Slovenia, and everyone else who joined the EU already, we would have been in a terribly different place, right? Like if you, think, if you remember where we met, I mean, that's where we would have been, right? Uh, you know, if if it wasn't for, for, you know, our countries over here becoming basically Western full-fledged members of the Western world, we would have never had these opportunities. It's not just about the European money, right? The European money is very important, but it's also about the security of doing business here, right? Like I personally, I can actually tell you, I remember my thoughts very well when I decided to move here. Like if it wasn't for the EU, I would have never moved. If I had to get a residence permit to live in a country, I I probably wouldn't have, as a European citizen, right? Like I can live pretty much anywhere in, in probably the nicest part of, of the world. Why would I go to some country that's challenging and I have to prove to someone that I'm gonna, I, I didn't even know what I wanted to do. I just went here to see, and then I kind of decided to stay, right? Yeah. So being able to do that at home is very different than from actually going to a country and going to the police and filling out forms and applying for a permit, right? So, so this, this is a very important thing, you know, what happened to us here in Romania and in Bulgaria, that we have this now. Uh, we've done, I've done over the years a lot of work with countries in in this region that aren't EU members. Moldova is one of them. North Macedonia, Kosovo, Albania, Serbia, uh, Bosnia, like all of them, I've I've extensively extensively uh, traveled and and have done a lot of work in each one of them, and that difference is just so you know so dramatic. Whether you have access to to whether you are in a European, full European country or you are this huge difference. So this has been definitely the largest, biggest thing that happened. And because of that, everything else happened, right? So because of that, we got access to funding. Because of that funding coming in, you know, other investors feel more confident. of coming in and doing things here uh, when investors are more confident, you know, strategic players are more confident, people, individuals are more confident. So this whole big movement of basically integrating um, parts of this region into the larger Western business world. This is this has been basically what happened. Um, of course, smaller things are, are very interesting, right? So first of all, it has a huge spillover effect. So for instance, what we, you know, we met in Moldova, what we were doing there, what you were doing from your side, what I was doing from my side, from what everyone else was doing. Also, those things wouldn't have happened if the neighboring countries didn't join the EU, right? So there's all this spillover yeah. effect into the rest of the region. And that's, that's also very important. Uh, but, um, you know, just looking at Bulgaria, I think the main thing, the best thing that happened here over the last 10 years, is that we get access to, um, to funding and skills. I don't even know which one is more important, but they definitely are very related to each other. Mm-hmm. And the big challenge that we have to solve, I think, in the next 10 years, and I, I, I think that if we can't solve it, and I hope we will, and if we can't, we'll definitely lag behind, is to actually make it open it up more, just like, for instance, like Estonia has done, another country where I've extensively mm-hmm. done work <laughs> and have done many, many things over the years, and it's very close to my heart. Um we basically have to become a place where talent wants to come to. And we have all the cards for it. And by the way, this is this is true for Romanian and Bulgaria, it's exactly the same thing. But we need to get to a point where our local companies grow enough so that they start attracting talent, you know, irregarding regardless of, of, of where that talent comes from, first and foremost to you, of course, and then from outside to you as well. This is a challenge we need to solve because we have all kinds of culture issues, why that's difficult. You know, closed societies, there's there's a lot of still, you know, kind of like, uh, you know, wariness about foreigners in, in these countries. This is what we need to work on. Uh, and I think that if we, by 2030, we, we're at a point where, you know, like there are, you know, thousands and thousands of people from all over the world working in the tech industries in inclusion, Bucharest and in Sofia, you know, and other cities in the region. I think that that's, that will be what we need. That, that will be the success that we're looking for.
0: Okay. Okay. Well, that's an interesting point because um I haven't uh, I haven't met that i haven't had in a conversation somebody say that okay we need uh you know you know we need the companies to be more mature in order to attract clients so that's a uh, that's an interesting perspective and also on that note um you know um i'm super passionate about a subject that i'm kind of when i'm reading news about startups i always look at them okay when it's gonna happen that that startup is going to Um, be forced to move their headquarter into another country um, and usually us right or western europe in order to scale so another you know topic on that is you know in terms of uh, ecosystem maturity is that um why you know why do you think this is needed and can we do it from eastern europe like scale globally
1: right For sure, for sure. I mean, this is this is a very good question, and I think that the the really interesting part is that we live in times in which all of this is changing, right? So if we look at the situation pre-COVID, right, a year ago, literally a year ago today, nobody could have known, you know, what what was about to happen this year. The logic for companies moving is very simple. You move because you're not only closer to markets, you can always set up a sales office. You know, I'm, I'm sure that, you know, a lot of like small niche Romanian companies that are just really good at what they do, and they're based in Romania, and they have like, if they're really, usually it's engineering, you know, in Eastern Europe, if yeah. they are, have some kind of interesting engineering solution, they have sales offices in Tokyo and New York and Frankfurt and everywhere. But, you know, the headquarters is still in in Romania and there's like two, 300 people working there designing some kind of, you know, electric switch or something. Like we have a lot of those companies in Bulgaria, I'm sure in Romania as well, yeah. et cetera. So the the business part is not even the most important one, right? You can have like, if you're actually good with what you do, you can set up sales offices and, and, and you can have a headquarters here and sell everywhere. The reason that headquarters move is, again, because of talent, right? Because when to really grow, like, you know, if you um, look at the UiPath, you know, great example, they had to go to New York because to be actually a tech unicorn, like they are, right, you need to attract the kind of talent. You need basically to fill your whole C-suite with people that will, you know, that will probably live in New York or already, very likely already live in New York. And if they're going to be looking for jobs, it's going to be with an office in New York, not with one in Bucharest. Right. Yeah. So that's why you move. That's why you move. Right. Uh, if, that, if those kind of people, that kind of talent if the, if the kind of person that can take a company as a CFO from 100 million market cap to a billion market cap, you know, would be around in Bucharest. You can have headquarters in Bucharest, but those people are unfortunately not yet around in Bucharest. Right. Yeah. Or maybe a single one is by chance, but it's not a market. Right. So. So this, this is why it happened before COVID. You went to the places where you can you can hire talent. Now, you know, post-COVID, we'll see how this goes. Right now, I, I still think that I'm, I'm very, um, I have a personal opinion that uh, this whole move to online, to work from anywhere, I think that on a very long-term perspective, it's true. But I think that on the short to medium term, it's actually the opposite. I think we'll have the moment we can travel again, the moment there are no lockdowns, the moment, you know, nobody is suffering or dying from COVID anymore, which hopefully within, you know, between now and a year from now is going to, we're going to reach that moment. Uh, There will be a tremendous, tremendous backlash into offline, real world, real life, specific cities, specific human to human communities, because people want that so much. Everyone is so sick and tired of all this remote and work from anywhere stuff. So I think that for the next few years, there will be a massive, 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 you know, kind of recommitment to, a small-scale, on-location, in-person, real-life thing, and people will flood back to the cities, and the cities will be much more interesting than they ever were. Of course, technology, you know, we've learned so much technologically this year that on a longer term, probably a lot of those more flexible models will continue working, and I think it's going to be on different levels. So cities and, and physical communities are going to stay very, very important for business as well. So still, if you want to hire the right people, you still have to be in the city where those people are because they want to come to the office and work there, or on the meta on the level, years, because of the online connectivity, you will see cities or communities around the world moving into those positions in much faster, much more connected ways. And technology is important for that, right? So I think it's both, but I do think that this whole idea that you want to go as a company to places where you can actually get the talent, um, that will still remain. However, what we learned this year will probably help cities like Khrush or Sofia you know, to become those cities. So that, that's very exciting, but it's still, it's still about the location, I
0: think. Yeah. I fully much agree, um, that, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna bounce back to that offline part because, you know, it's just a universal law that when you're in one extremity, the tendency is to go to right away into the, you know, the, the other extremity. So that's something that I, I think as well, we definitely, it's going to happen. And then, you know, there's going to be a, a balancing period coming up after that. Um, and I really like the fact that you said, you know, um, uh, to my second question that I asked, it's again about talent, right? So uh, whenever, I mean, as soon as we develop the talent in Eastern Romania, Bulgaria, um, you know, most most probably we're going to see companies, tech companies keeping their headquarter more and more here because they're going to have C-suite material, you know? <laughs> um, so... That's that's super great. For
1: sure, yeah, no. You can see this. That we're not, you know, you know not inventing the wheel here, right? Like there are companies that do this well on a small scale already. Like Estonia, again, is a great example. If you go to Estonia, there are actually um, there is actually a whole number of um, there, is, there is a whole number of, of of unicorns. I think Estonia has like four or five now companies yeah. that are considered, yeah. you know, worth a billion or more that actually um that actually have their headquarters over there. You know, and they again they have the sales offices or the, the regional HQ in New York or in San Francisco. Or usually it's New York nowadays, not even SF or London. But their their HQs are in Tallinn. And when you go to Tallinn, you know, you see all these um all these people from you know from all over Europe and all over the world working at those businesses, right? So so that's 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 where we want to go. And, and yeah. Warsaw is becoming that kind of place, you know, and Budapest is becoming that kind of place. We're next.
0: Yeah, yeah, um, I'm definitely look, uh, looking forward to that. Um, also, coming back to you know what I said at the beginning around 11 and the entire portfolio of professional uh, experiences that you had so far, which is you know really amazing to look at. From your experience of working with you know with investors and forming various initiatives with them, like what do you see as the main motivation for them to say yes and join? Like I know because my question why I'm asking this because I know that ce investors at least from what we see is kind of they're risk averse and uh, you know they're afraid to invest so you know from just
1: just to to understand better stefan are you talking about like say yes to a specific investment or say yes to basically joining an investment group or becoming an investor
0: well actually both right is it uh, or if it's if it's different then yeah you can go into both of them but um uh you know
1: yeah you know uh, that's a very good question i think it's True for everyone, everywhere, in the same way, right? Just like people buy things because they 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 see other people having those things, right? Like that's how that's, you know it's very emotional, right? So just like you buy, um, well, compared to to like expensive um, expensive expenditures, right? Like when you buy a car, when you buy a house, when you know when you buy expensive things, like you always do that. Uh, on the one hand you need you need them but you can buy many different ways things and, and in many different places so when we choose our houses our apartments our cars we buy the things that we have seen other people use right we buy houses in a neighborhood that is considered a nice neighborhood that we like a lot right we buy the kind mm-hmm. of kind of car that we you know that we really like so it's kind of the same with investors, right? Investors invest because they see other people doing it well and enjoying it, and you know, and 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 making money with it uh, eventually. I mean, although you know, there's a long conversation about the reasons for investing, and very often with angels, it's not always about the money. But in reality, you know, there where you have vibrant investor communities, a lot of people are aware how incredibly cool it is to be an investor and how nice it is and how you know how 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 lucrative it is. The hard thing in Eastern Europe is that we don't have a lot of investments, right. It's one of those things that it's very difficult to start when you don't have it, right? And you don't have it because mm-hmm. you've never started it, right? So It's one of those vicious circles. Um, what is really important is the examples of people that have invested and either made a really nice return or they have become, you know uh, significant in society, you know, an opinion that everybody you know wants to listen to. -hmm. Uh, Some people, you know, made it to, you know, got got advanced in their careers because they they were investors. You know, some people get invited to be a minister or something in some countries. So those examples are very, uh, those examples are very important, right? And it's it's the, the hard thing in communities like ours. And it's getting much easier over the years, but like you know, five, six, seven years ago, for instance. Uh, well, when I was doing cross-border angels, which is based in San Francisco, it's a global network. One of the things I wanted to do is to recruit you know uh, other angels here. And I, 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 I know a lot of people that could be angel investors, but this was exactly the problem. They're like, oh, but this is a network you know, based in America. And I was like, no, no, but it also works in Europe and in Asia. Yeah, but here, those things will never work. I mean, who's gonna, this not be so stupid to <laughs> here on, on tech, right? That's changing now, but the hard thing is, to answer your question, uh, the The reason people would invest in a deal or you know be part of an investment group is because they see other people doing it. And so the more people we have doing it, the easier it will be to convince others.
0: Okay, um, that's super interesting. um and if I'm looking looking at what is happening also in the ecosystem over here in Romania, it's you kind of nail uh, you know you nail the head. Uh, because uh, that's what we see in our, you know, uh, local angels group as well. At least over here in Transylvania, I haven't been involved so much in the Bucharest uh, angels group. But uh, mm-hmm. um, it's super interesting that you're saying that because that's actually, yeah, what is happening. I mean, everybody want to go, uh, you know, get into the boat of investing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um,
1: yeah, it's becoming a, it's becoming a cool thing at some point, right? At some point when it's uh, when there are enough people doing it, then it becomes uh, becomes a, a hot, a hot item, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, Max, I'm kind of coming back to my final question. And, um, Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, it's also connected to, you know, the like you said, we're living in super interesting times and the pandemic and and all that part. And my question Mm -hmm. is, do you think during these times, do you think we need, like, um, innovation is needed more than ever now? And also, do you think, like, the current pandemic is likely to deepen the relationships between, you know, current companies, establishments, and mm-hmm. startups? Um, yeah,
1: yeah, Ab- absolutely. Yes. Yes. On both. I, innovation is needed more than ever. Uh, you know, it's, it, first of all, it, solutions to big crises, and we are facing, if not, It's not several, at least one, but most likely several huge crises, you know, first of all, the, the health crisis that we're in, but also after that, we'll be—you know—we definitely have a huge economic problem that needs to be solved. We have, you know, we have global warming, we have all kinds of global instability going on, you know. So we're we're facing huge challenges this decade, yeah. and uh, challenges are always faced with innovation. You know, it's, it, this is how it's always been. What's more, so and this is to your second point, in times of great crisis and great. Challenge. That's when innovation accelerates the most, right? So this is the reason I'm extremely, extremely excited about this decade. Uh, I think for our generation, for the you know for the people that are our um, uh, the people that are our uh, age group, this decade is going to be the defining defining decade that we will talk about for decades after. We will talk as long as we live, and then you know our children and grandchildren will refer to the 20s as an incredible period, so just like we refer to the 60s when we were growing up, for instance, right? Uh, This is going to be the same thing. And the reason for that is that we are now, we face such tremendous upheaval just this year, and it's going to reverberate in the next years. There will be an incredible acceleration of of innovation. And I think that for, you know, for existing large uh, entities, be it countries, be it corporations and companies, you know, it's, it's now it's do or die. I think that what we'll see in the next 10 years is that anyone who hasn't adapted, anyone who hasn't integrated deeply with the startup mentality, has integrated deeply with actual startups, either by working with them or acquiring them or, you know, becoming active as investors and growth um, agents for startups, any organizations, uh, be it corporates, be it universities, be it countries, even states, will, you know, they will not die right away, but they will basically start going down, right? Um, this, this is going to be, I think, very, very much this decade.
0: That, that's super interesting, and I'm just gonna have my final final question with a follow up on what you said. Why do you think the big corporates don't see this? Don't see this opportunity, or not? Maybe not opportunity, but uh, the fact that they need to go into the space of more collaboration with the startups. At least from our positions, this is what we can we can see as well that there are some co- companies and you know corporates that are acting um, unaware of what they have to do.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, you know, Stefan. It's so I, I don't really work that much with corporates, although I do see a lot of a lot of things around me. I actually think that a lot of them are probably, you know, you do much more of that work than I do, so you have much better view on this. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sure there are many that don't. But the good thing is that many corporates do. So you see, you know, uh, just 10 years ago, you know, corporate innovation programs or corporate acceleration programs or you know th- those things for a lot of the more traditional industries like banks, uh, where very rare and almost unthinkable. Nowadays you see this everywhere, right? So so this is a good thing. I think that the companies that don't do it, they, you know, they're you know, this is the classical example of, you know, the, the Kodak situation, right? They they were mm-hmm. too comfortable mm-hmm. and then think about it. And then when they start thinking about it, or if they haven't yet, they will at some point, it probably for some of them, unfortunately, it will be too late. Right. Yeah. So this is I think what's uh what what the problem is like I think that if you're a corporate decision maker now, it's it's now or never, right? Like it's of course, you know, whatever revenue streams you have, whatever business models you have, uh, they will continue for some time, for a year, yeah. for two years, but you can so easily, so easily lose all of it if you don't actually innovate. And it's hard, you know, so many, so many books are written about it and so many thoughts are thought about it, but it's, you have to, you basically need to adapt and, and change. And this year is, um, it's a good year as any started <laughs> when everything is yeah. changing, anyways.
0: <laughs> this year, this year breeds change uh, as a, in its DNA. So um... it's exciting, man.
1: Like I'm telling you, like this is if what doesn't kill you makes it stronger. Like we really need to survive this period. We have to make sure we're safe. We have to make sure we keep our parents safe. You know, like all these yeah. things are super important. But if we not if when we survive, when we survive this, when this is all over a year from now, hopefully, then you know it will be a golden golden age of so much growth. much innovation like the economic growth just like after the second world war will be you know will be tremendous tremendous in the next years and i'm pretty sure that 10 years from now cities like cluj like bucharest like Timisoara, like sofia here in bulgaria will be just the most most exciting place in europe i'm pretty sure man you
0: excited you you, you excited me very much (laughs) looking (laughs) very much forward to the future (laughs) um max this was great uh thank you very much for you know joining the conversation and uh pleasure Uh, you know, uh, answering some, you know, not hard questions, but some questions that are maybe sitting on on many people in the startup ecosystem uh, within this region. So thank you for that.
1: My pleasure, Stefan. Thank you and uh, talk to you soon, I hope.
0: Yeah, definitely. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. If you liked this conversation, go review us on Apple Podcasts. Your support will help us reach more people that need to listen to this conversation. And don't forget to subscribe to your favorite podcast platform to be the first to find out about our future guests.